Spoilers ahead. Hello and welcome to Watch Play Cry, where we talk about our thoughts, feelings, and more feelings about narrative video games. The level of immersion and emotional attachment in narrative video games is the reason we created this space here to share our thoughts and feelings about them. My name is Andy Wong, and I'm joined by some good friends, Rogers. Hi, Andy. Melly. Hi, Andy. Harry. Hi, Andy. Chi. Hi, Andy. And Angela. Hi, Andy. Melly with the blurb. Max wakes up in the evil lair, I mean, dark room, of Mr. Jefferson, who's been behind the gross kidnappings, druggings, and murders. Mr. Jefferson was training Nathan Prescott to become his protege, but Nathan accidentally killed Rachel Amber from an overdose. After murdering Nathan to tie up loose ends, Mr. Jefferson takes creepy photos of us before telling us that these are our last moments. But not for Super Max! We get hold of a picture and go back in time and send a tip to step douche David Madsen, who helps catch Mr. Jefferson. She wins the Everyday Hero Contest, even more deservedly than the world will ever know, and flies to San Francisco to enjoy her work being featured in a classy art gallery. Max gets to feel like she's a real artist, even if it's just for today. However, she gets a call from Chloe and realizes the storm she saw in episode one is real. She didn't stop the storm. Max tries to go back in time to stop her submission, but that timeline and series of events leads her being back in the darkroom. Max ends up at the lighthouse with Chloe, who realizes Max may be the one causing the storm from all the time she's used her powers to save Chloe, who seems to be stuck in a final destination scenario. Max needs to make a decision upon this realization whether to go back in time one last time and sacrifice Chloe to save Arcadia Bay, or to stay in the present time, sacrifice Arcadia Bay to save Chloe. Melly chose to sacrifice her powers and Chloe. Cue the teardrops. <laughs> that was the finale mm. of this entire season one. I, I thought it was quite a ride. Uh, I, I know a few of us have some feelings, but how did we all feel? About this last episode, I want to hear the feelings. Yeah, Andrew, you got some, you got some funny faces going on. N- none of them seem like great emotion. <laughs> that was in response to what you were just saying, though. <laughs> well, you, you don't want to share your feelings. Um, a whole part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so overall, I felt like the game made me feel kind of sad for the characters because when you have to make a sacrifice you're choosing between Arcadia Bay or Chloe and the whole game you've been trying to save and protect this girl but at the same time she was kind of a bitch (laughs) so yeah it did make me feel some kind of way um yeah but when I played it I also sacrificed Chloe for Arcadia Bay so I guess I didn't feel close enough to Chloe to make the decision to save her yeah that's interesting because because you, Chi, and myself had actually previously done a playthrough on our own before in the past. So I, I want to kick it to Chi. What, how, how, did you relive some feelings? Did you have new feelings? The funny thing is I didn't remember the majority of the game. So I remember the beginning and the like, end the and like a thing. bit in the <laughs> middle. So yeah, it was interesting watching Melly play through it. 
What did you do at the end when you played it? What, what was your decision? What was my decision? If I recall correctly, I chose to sacrifice Arcadia Bay. Yeah, my yeah. guy, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you want, we can go into more in depth about that a bit later when we do bring up the question. But in terms of what I think about Chapter 5 itself, I will say the most important thing for me was that I didn't feel bored throughout this chapter, which is which I can't say the same for the last like three chapters. I like how we keep jumping between timelines, so it feels like there's like a change in environment. So like every like 15 minutes, you kind of do like a rewind and bam, a new environment comes up. Even though we keep going back to the dark room, it was still kind of interesting because that was when Max was in the most danger, right? Uh, but on the other hand, I like some of the segments in the later on part of the game doesn't really add to the story. So when Max was going through like her dream of like, um, you know how when she went to her dorm, mm -hmm. like going through her dorm and then into the hallway in reverse, and even the whole stealth portion, like I think it's interesting, but I don't think it adds to the story. I, I think this is another one of those attempts at the developers at putting in random content to stretch out the game time. So, but the good thing is it wasn't boring. It wasn't like the previous chapters where they put in all these, remember the bullshit sandwich. At least this was interesting. <laughs> so I'm okay with that. I also want to say, I really wish they kind of explained more on how Max got her powers in the first place and why using the powers ended up having a natural disaster. Because right now, it's more like, if you use it, natural disaster happens. But why? Like, what was, what was all that? Like, if anything, I almost feel like they should just remove the whole natural disaster, in my opinion. But overall, I think Chapter 5 is just good enough to be a satisfying finale to the series. Just good enough satisfying just good finale. Enough. Yeah. Nice. Harry, uh, what do you think? You look like you disagree or do, or do, is that a face of agreement <laughs> it, it, it's it's a thinking face um to me i thought this episode this last episode was very entertaining just like what she said you're always jumping into different pictures and going into different timelines which kind of in a way reminds me of inception where mm. you just kind of like zooms in and like you, you try to change something in someone's dream and then it kind of changes reality in a way. So it, it's kind of cool like that. It reminds me of that type of stuff. Um, but uh, I was very like into the whole episode because it was just lots of ups and downs. What I found, I, I guess it, my disagreement with um, Chi is when they added the whole stealth element, it wasn't so much like, I think they're just adding stuff. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. You get to... It, it's less about the stealth and you're just kind of listening to what, like, all these people are just trying to say to Max because um, it, it's, like, crunch time and it's, like, very stressful moments. So it, it's just things that they're saying to Max to stress her out even more and then ultimately lead to the ending where, hey, what do you want to do? You want to save... Uh, Arcadia Bay, or do you want to save Chloe? But generally speaking, very good. I enjoyed it a lot. Very good. Enjoyed it a lot. Melly, you making notes? Oh, no, you're just doing homework? Okay. 
like my feeling when I was playing it, I hated it. I hated every second of it. Oh my god! If you couldn't feel my frustration, then like, oh my god, I felt so bad. Why? Like, like well, because of the the stress. Also, because you know, Melly's bad at navigating, and I'm like getting lost. I'm going back to the beginning, trying to like dodge these stupid people with the damn ass flashlights. I'm like, not. <laughs> I I loathed it, and you know. I, I like ran past like all of the memories with Chloe because I just hated thinking about because you know the decision is coming up right and I hated having to think about it so you go through all these great memories with Chloe and then you get to the diner and then all these people are like thanks for killing me Max like how could you and it's just like oh my are you serious like I felt so bad I hated every second of it and maybe that's what makes it like a good episode right so even though i hated it like it had its purpose and then you kind of go back in time and you use the same well i didn't mean it like that but you go down memory lane from playing the game and doing all these things that you did before the stupid passcode in the mirror just i was pissed and that's what started it right uh, so quick google and helped us <laughs> i was pissed from the passcode in the mirror and then I had to not get caught by these people, and that was awful. And then hearing all these people trying to get to the lighthouse and things like that. So I hated it, but I think that's what made it a good episode. Mm-hmm. Mm, that is a, yeah, yeah, you really hated that flashlight part. Oh, oh man. So, yeah. But you don't like horror games anyway, so that, that turned into a bit of a scarier section of the game. Yeah. Why you gotta be a little spooky spoopy. for? Yeah, oh, it's a little spooky. Uh, time spooky. <laughs> I, I, I want to be spooked by Rogers. By my take? Oh my god. I think, you know, after playing through five of these episodes, I think I've come to realize that I really like extremes. And either give me a nice, solid, linear story, or give me lots of choices that actually affect stuff. And when it comes to this, and I think also when it comes to Walking Dead, it has the same issue, where you basically have A or B, A or B, A or B, and it doesn't really amount to a whole lot, except for like the final A or B decision at the end of a playthrough or the end of the game. And, and, and that's basically it. And I think it doesn't do enough to hide the decisions that are being made, um, and it doesn't give me that sense of i'm actually making a choice it it's like it, it still feels railroaded but it doesn't have the benefit of having a really engaging story um or consistently engaging story i guess is more the case for in, in terms of life is strange uh and, and so when we came into the final episode even though it was quite interesting uh and there's a lot of little cool bits of it i think i was came in very much jaded from the other four episodes and I don't think I give it a uh, true fair shake. I think I was playing Slay the Spire through portions of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other uh, item I have for this is basically they introduce a lot of, I guess, like scenery or, or like themes to this end of this episode that were a lot different than the rest of the the games we've played so far. And I don't think it necessarily fit the tone uh, of the other, of, of the overall series as a whole package. Nor do I don't think the the art style necessarily really complemented 
the types of things they're trying to pull off. Oh. And so it, it was a bit of a distraction. It felt like they wanted to try something new, put a whole bunch of cool stuff into it, but it didn't serve necessarily the overall vision of the project. I, I, I don't know. I was listening to something recently, and they were talking about, you know, no matter how good the line is, if it doesn't serve the scene, don't add it. No matter how good the scene is, if it doesn't serve the movie, take it out. And I think that kind of applies to to this as well. There are a couple of cool things in here, but if it doesn't really serve the overall, I guess, vision of, of, of the game, um, then it doesn't necessarily need to be there. Or, or the rest of the stuff needs to be cut to make sure it all fits into the same theme and, and stuff they want to express in the front episode. Because as we've harped on before, there's a lot of dead or filler content that seems unnecessary in the other episodes we've been through so that's interesting i think we talked about a few of those scenes in a previous podcast like in uh was it episode two in the infamous junkyard. junkyard can fetch quest oh that hurt like we never use that skill again we never use the skill of telling chloe uh where to shoot i guess we use it a little bit with students like say watch out to characters as they get stabbed or not stabbed or as it had nothing there. to do with their shooting ability but nothing wait we never had to like pick from five options to say like ricochet here and then this will cause this and then we're stuck with that cho- or, or we have to rewind it, it just never it didn't tie in properly there's no it was like a one weird scene and then that was it it was wait can hmm. i defend the junkyard scene I just want to play devil's advocate here because I sure. think it was there for the players to explore that environment because now ultimately we know that's where um, Amber, Rachel Amber was buried. So it's where she died. And while we, were, while we were exploring the area, we found like a bunch of syringes and needles on the ground. But like you wouldn't know that's why it was there, but that's why it was there. So it's like for that realization later, when you find out what happened, you're like, oh, my God, it was all here all along. And I actually walked around here and checked it out. But yeah, that's all I have to say. Uh, that's true. Uh, there was also another hidden uh, item. I think it was in the graffiti in the shed. Yeah. About, I think it was like um, Rachel was here or something like this. Or Rachel is here now. Yeah. Um, I, I think that plays into not it would our criticism isn't that the junkyard shouldn't have existed. It's that the amount of time we spent in it, it felt too long. And the, the in between between the the time of that and the payoff in episode five, I don't think works well enough. It, if they had tighter episodes, maybe that would have been better. Uh, or if it if it was consistently showing us here's some stuff, here's a payoff next episode, here's some stuff, here's a payoff next episode, and then they did a payoff from episode one, that means we're constantly on the lookout for that content. That would have been better. But as far as our playthrough, we did we did pick up on necessarily those items, especially not consistently, um, which is a real shame. So, I, you know, if they've done that and they do have that cool stuff set in, you know, I'm sad that we missed out on it. But at the same time, if we missed out on it, how many other players have also missed out on that stuff? Uh, maybe we're just bad at games, possibly. But and that's also part of the... You, you guessed it in episode one. <laughs> well, I guess a lot of things episode one, didn't I? So I, I don't know that counts. <laughs> you just didn't know where Rachel Amber was. I mean, you, you had a general idea. That was actually pretty impressive. I remember you said it, and I was like, but how? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> an hour into the game. Um, I'm, I'm just going to move us along for in the interest of time. I, I did want to share some thoughts. I thought it did some um, really cool things as a standalone episode. I think what Meli was saying was very unsettling the whole time. There was hardly any, like, moment of respite, except for the gallery scene, which then, like, it was, like, maybe two, three minutes, and then we're back at it again. So it, it, was, it was quite unsettling so in, in a good way because it kept the pace, like, it, the tension was really high, I want to say. And then it got, it got way too high for Meli during <laughs> that creepy <laughs> flashlight scene. But, yeah, I, I think they did a good job in, like, raising the stakes because, like, I think with every episode, the stakes kind of get raised, introduction of gun, introduction of... Uh, murders and stuff and then saving your friend um so I, I think it did really good on that um some things i thought it didn't do too well on i i think like <laughs> nelly made the, used the term literally walking down memory lane <laughs> that was kind of cheesy <laughs> it was literally memory lane uh yes. and then the, the, like all the times we did all those decisions in between. Like, it made a lot of difference in between the story. But at the end, kind of like what you were saying, Rogers, it was A or B, and then nothing mattered. <laughs> like, nothing we did up to that point mattered. It's either, hey, doesn't matter what you did anyways, all these people are going to die, and you're going to save your best friend. So whoop de doo Or you're going to sacrifice your best friend. It doesn't matter anything you did before, because never, nothing happened. <laughs> None of it ever would have happened. Maybe they were trying to just build onto, like, how you feel about Chloe versus how you feel about the other characters. Because ultimately yeah. you, you, you choose, right? You want to save your friends that you care more about or you, your friend Chloe. Oh, I like that. They didn't need to have 10 hours to be able to answer that question. <laughs> oh, Game I of Thrones took like seven seasons. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I think they, they took their time to build like connections with characters it's like why in every episode do you have to save this girl Lissa so many times from getting hit by a ball getting you know pushed into the pool or uh getting crushed by a burning building right i mean you, you try so hard at the end of the day you're just gonna kill her i, I don't know do you want to kill her or you want how i, Chloe, well, I, I did enjoy that, that part where we're getting you, crushed by a building? No, no, no. You because you, 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 you give the option to save Alyssa from all these minor incidents all throughout the game, right? And at the very end, if you try to, to pick the option to save her, she ends up freaking out, and that's the one that kills her. And I think that that that's a nice touch. I did enjoy that. That was a nice payoff uh, in terms of the setup. And then yeah, the that was pretty funny. Yeah, the way they did it, it was like every time you come around, something bad happens. To it's like, like, like I said. The, there are some great moments in this game, but they're just, it's so inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the interest of time, I'm going to move us along onto some themes and motifs that we were able to identify. Angela, I don't know if you saw this. I think a lot, there was a lot of um, self doubt, internal criticism, a lot of imposter syndrome with like Max feeling like she doesn't belong in the art world and finally getting into the art world. But then all her internal criticism afterwards in those like alternate realities. Like when she's in the weird um, classroom and then Mr. Jefferson's like, oh, you're not good enough. You're just like my, you're just my test subject and stuff like that. I, I felt there was a lot of that. What, what did you think on that? Oh, yeah, I agree. And I think that's part of their whole theme of kind of growing up and going through all of that. And I think that's why the game was set as teenagers. So, yeah, and it's interesting to see because the whole time when we're making all these choices, it's kind of giving us perspective into Max's mind on 
what she wants to be because a lot of it was her trying to decide whether or not she wants to be like this everyday hero and that ties into actually what rogers and harry were saying earlier about you know the choices of saving Alyssa and stuff so i think that was a cool touch because it kept reassuring that theme and bringing it up that you're kind of choosing whether or not you want to play the hero or if you want to be more selfish and like who do you care about more one person or like the greater good of all these other people and with that, I think that ties into what you're saying about the whole self-doubt and stuff. Because even with the hero stuff, um, at the end, Max was like, am I, am I going to be the hero that saves everyone in Arcadia Bay? Or am I going to be the hero that just saves Chloe? You know? I like that. I like how you put it. It was, like, it was almost like an adventure of growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, one, one thing I, I put down here. Um, squirrels? Squirrels? <laughs> Squirrels. Yeah, there's just a lot of squirrels. I don't know if anyone does anything to say about these squirrels, but they clearly meant something because they're giant squirrels. Samuel likes squirrels. Yeah. Oh Samuel yeah, Samuel per- likes Samuel squirrels. the pervert. He's not a pervert. No, he's, he's just, just a janitor. He's just creepy. Yeah, he's just a creepy custodian. Mm. Right. Not based off the shit we saw in his shed, dude. Yeah, the <laughs> shit, yeah some of the stuff that he has in his like, shed that. is yeah. kind of yeah. weird. And that's that's the other thing, right? They never ex- they they never explained what that was all about. Why is he so creepy? It's like they're trying to you know throw you off, but they didn't yeah. expand further. It's just like there was no resolution to it. Yeah, yeah, a, a little red herring. Was it even mm-hmm. a red herring? It was more like red. It's like it wasn't even a red herring. It was just red. That's how incomplete it felt. Yeah, exactly. I think even with uh, like a lot of these characters, like even with with David the the step douche, they could have done more to really drive home that these are not the bad guys here. Like these are just people who are living their lives and they're trying their best, and they. They didn't really drive that home all too hard. I I was not totally convinced that the character of Max believed that David was actually a good guy afterwards or, or was actually trying to help. Mm. I, I don't know. It was, it was missing something touching. There was that one scene at the end during one of the timelines where... He apologizes you know, he, for being... Yeah, he sure. apologizes and, and he's trying his best. But it didn't feel convincing as an audience necessarily. And maybe that's okay. But I, I would have liked to have also seen that similarly for um, Samuel to, to have him play um, some sort of uh, heroic role um, in helping Max somehow, like either providing evidence for it or showing him just as, as a really nice guy. And, and like helping her out like that would have been a good thing to see at the end like after let, you know let let our personal biases come in let let like the standard stereotypes you know show up but then uh what once you've kind of got players to take the bait into it you know turn that around on them that'd be something interesting to see and and i think you know it goes a long way like oftentimes people with mental health disorders uh, or learning disabilities are are kind of portrayed as kind of creepy or whatever, and it would be nice to have had that not necessarily reinforced, and to show another side of it, uh, in, in, especially in this game. Um, 
where it does that consistently at least it tries to do that it tries to like archetype a lot of characters and be like but actually yeah and i don't think it really undoes samuel's character that he has one scene at the end where he's like nicely chatting with like the the physics teacher but it doesn't really do anything to kind of erase the hints and clues and subtext that they've already put around him uh through other physical evidence and other stuff like that so say uh one one last thing uh that came up a lot so I, I thought we should bring it up is the lighthouse uh we end up at the lighthouse that's what we need to reach uh in that creepy part millie <laughs> uh, unless you've erased that from your memory <laughs> No, it was the light. The lighthouse is funny because I was always wondering, like, what's so special about this stupid ass lighthouse? Like, what's so special? And then after reading it, like, like watching some other stuff, they're like, oh, because it's the one place that didn't get hit by the tornado. I'm like, oh, true. Oh, that's like that's a significance because it's like on friggin' high ground and like it's just it didn't get affected by the tornado, right? Oh, that's how you save Chloe. You just freaking stand there and let them watch the oh. town die. That's. Oh, okay. I do you think that the lighthouse, aside from like it not being like the place to hit its high ground, the tornadoes out of the way, the lighthouse, it's like, do you think there's like a symbolism behind the lighthouse? Probably. Because it's. There's gotta be. What yeah. it is, uh, I know, dude. I mean, it's a literal lighthouse showing you the way. Yeah. I yeah. thought so too. Maybe oh, it's, sure. it's literally like light in the darkness. Oh shit! Yeah, it's like fo- follow your heart, and it'll guide you to the right decision, no matter if it's saving Chloe or Arcadia. <laughs> no, I actually I think this metaphor kind of breaks down because the whole point of a lighthouse is to tell ships to avoid something. Like, don't go oh. to where the lighthouse is because that's where the rocks are. <laughs> but we go there. But we go there anyways. <laughs> That's where the That's chaos where... is. Chaos theory. Oh. It's supposed to guide you away, right? Not to. You have to go to the lighthouse. Just go around the lighthouse. <laughs> well, Yikes. I, yeah, I, actually, that, that was actually pretty insightful. I didn't actually really know. I was kind of like, Melly. I was like, I don't know. But they kept shoving this lighthouse in front of us. So there's got to be something to it. Uh, but yeah, moving on to our next question. What, what's an artist to you? And, and when do you think someone becomes an artist? This is something that kind of troubles me when I, I try to do comedy. I want to hear your thoughts, Chi and uh, Rogers. What, what do you guys think about that? I think an artist is someone who has whose work has a following. So it could be a painting. It could be um, what you do, Andy. It could be what anybody does. Anything can Instagram. be considered an art, right? Yeah, so there's if there's enough people that are interested in what you are doing or you made, then I think you can be considered an artist. So, like, on the other hand, let's say if if nobody ever thought that the Mona Lisa was a masterpiece, right, then would the artist really be considered an artist, right? Like, for another example, when I go to museums, I usually look at paintings and I don't understand a single thing. I usually have to ask the wifey to explain it to me. So that don't literally look like paint badges just, like, everywhere, right? But they're in a museum for a reason. So enough people do recognize that it's a piece of art. And therefore, the artist or the person who made it would be considered an artist. That's my thoughts. Oh, that's interesting. Because I think that's something Max struggles with a lot. And it's interesting that she calls herself an artist finally. She allows herself to call herself an artist. Because up to this point, she's, she kept saying, I- I'm not an artist. I'm not a photographer. Who am I to call myself any of these things? But then when her work finally gets featured 
at the gallery, she was like, I'm going to allow myself to be an artist, even if it's just for today. That's a really interesting take because that, that kind of feels like what Max might be feeling. How, what do you think, Rogers? I, I think I fall into the camp of art can be anything, like literally anything you want it to be. But the difference I think to make here is that there's a difference between making art and or or, make some, or being like an artist and being a, like a craftsman. For example, you know, if you're a child, you could draw something that's really meaningful to yourself and that's art, right? Um, maybe other people don't get it, whatever. But that's still a piece of art. Whether it's good or not, that's up for debate. But then there's another level of craftsmanship. Because you could be very technically good at drawing, like very technically good. But if all you're doing are making ads, um, and there's no oh, <laughs> and there's no soul or meaning behind it, um, then some form of art. But there's something diminished about it. There, there's something that's not. A lot of people quite... click on my ads. Well, it's <laughs> constantly stabbing Andy. I'm an artist, I swear. Please don't sponsor us. Sponsor that... please. Please. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing wrong with like there can be artistic ads and, and definitely there there's been ones that create a message. But you know, it all comes down to as she said, like people's perspectives on stuff, right? If enough people agree that it's art or that it has a powerful enough meaning, then it, it becomes art and it becomes good art, even if you don't understand why. And it's a very complex thing. You know, some art is based on the history, some art is based on you need to know all the context that went up to it for like a hundred years before this piece was created to understand why this is important or what's going on here. If you create something just today without any of that context, it's just nothing, right? It's just ink on a paper. And, and so it's less about the actual thing uh, and more about what everyone ascribes to it. Uh, I, I wanted to do an analogy to um, the opening of uh, The Petit Prince. Wow, yeah, I'm just gonna say English version. The the Little Prince. <laughs> what what's a, what's the real title? The the Petit Prince. But I was like <laughs> the Petit Prince. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> this is a movie. It's great. Uh, okay. In the beginning, uh, what he does is he says when he was a kid, um, he drew a snake that ate an elephant, and he showed mm-hmm. all the adults, and all the adults were like, "Oh, that's a nice hat." <laughs> And they're like, oh, man, you got a lot of skill. You should probably try to be an artist. And he's like, I guess. But, like, that's not what I drew. <laughs> I drew a snake that ate an elephant. Why can't anyone see? <laughs> so would you say that he's an artist, even though a lot of people appreciate his hat drawing? is <laughs> not uh, what he intended at all. I think people need to not be precious about their art. <laughs> uh, you know, what, once, once you've created something, once you've you know, shown it to the world, it's no longer yours. Right. It's 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 up for everyone else to interpret it. And who are you to say, no, that's wrong. If, if that's what someone is inspired by or sees uh, in the work that you've created, uh, then that's their right. Right. Uh, I know. You're very, like, that's of the author camp. You're like, the meaning is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel so weird talking about like a children's drawing that is literally supposed to be like a snake eating elephant. People see it as a hat. But it would. When, when, when more serious artists like create a piece of art and it's they feel like it's taken out of context, I feel like that's doing it a great disservice and, and not allowing uh, the art to to live and to evolve in the society that that views it. So people in the future can see it. <laughs> wow, that's all. That sounds so pretentious. 
yeah, we're talking I, about odds. It's going to be pretentious. Yeah, I agree with what, what Roger's saying. I think I just would have worded it very differently. <laughs> I wouldn't be blaming the artist. I'm going to move on to our next question because I, I, I really think this is like a really big theme that this episode was really trying to push. Uh, Melly, Harry, y'all, y'all are into photography or have taken some ac- academic lessons on it. So I, I want to throw this to you. There, there is a lot of like capturing a moment in time. I think someone said that during the art gallery scene, uh, how like pictures can tell a narrative. Um, are there any favorite photos that you, you'd like to share with us? Like, with, with your words <laughs> yeah i know it's a very oxymoron question yeah I'll go, I'll go first i will show you the photos but nobody else can see them i guess so this is the photo on my lock screen it's a pre it's like a pre oh my god can you see it it's a pre oh yes <laughs> it's, oh my yikes you can't really see my god it's a pre-wedding photo okay from when we were in korea that's me you can't even see me that's my fiance Maybe you'll see it. I'll, I'll post it in the chat later. <laughs> but it brings me back to that time when we were in Korea. It was such a good time. And that was a professional photo. We had somebody else, like our friend, taking photos, his brother. And now, like, phones, or at least my phone, has motion photo. So it's not even a photo. But when you click it, then it's like a little GIF or almost like a little video of the time. and. I think, though, that's, like, my favorite thing about my phone now and taking pictures. Because now I take pictures because I want to see, like, the little bit of the video. Because sometimes I feel like the picture doesn't just do it justice. And you need to, like, see kind of what else happened right before taking the picture. Oh, I like that. that that's almost like those, like, Harry Potter clippings, like, in the newspaper. Exactly. <laughs> is that what that is? Oh, like a hologram. <laughs> that's great. Holographic card, yeah. For, for oh. people who are just listening, Roger just put a holographic card on display. I, the was... best topic I talk on a verbal podcast is about pictures. Pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Max is a photography student. She won a photography contest. She is. How about you, Harry? Mm, I would say some of the photos that I really enjoy taking were the. Um, it's mostly landscape photos. There's just. A few that I took when I was in Japan of um, different landscapes. And looking back at... Oh, when you almost died? Uh, no, those are very scary photos. It was That was Silent Hill level. It was foggy. It was like 12 a.m. on Mount Fuji. Nothing was open. It was cold. That that was Silent Hill. It was storming. Oh, man, please tell the whole story about how you almost died. No, 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 no. no. That's, that's for a different podcast, you know? <laughs> Things Check you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, things you shouldn't do. Uh, spooky stories. <laughs> <laughs> spooky stories? Posted by Harry. Yes. I really enjoy the, the landscape photos I actually took of just me being around. Mostly more rural areas of places I've been. Um, this includes uh, mountains mostly, I would say, because they're so vast. And it's just like you taking a picture of it, capturing a moment. It's just like, whoa. How small would I be if I was in that little speck at the peak of the mountain? And then you just kind of imagine yourself being there. And thinking back, looking at the picture, it's like you being there in that moment, kind of instilling that that photo into forever memory. As long as you don't delete it or it just gets wiped from your hard drive. 
Yeah, print that out, man. <laughs> yeah. But um, I would say those are my type of photos that I enjoy a lot. Just landscape and just very wide angles. So you can see a whole lot of different things in the landscape. Nice. Yeah. Very naturey. And anyone else have any favorite photos they'd like to share? I put one in chat. Oh, okay. is this is this the kind of thing you're into? Yeah, oh. I enjoy that. Oh, whoa, is that so? It's a good landscape photo. There's a lot of water. Is that like a wave coming in? Uh, those are clouds that are sitting right on top of the like frozen. frozen oh, lake. that's so cool. Yeah, the clouds that sit right on top of frozen lake, so it looks like from afar there's like this giant tsunami coming. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's the White Walkers. They're coming. Yeah, that, that's actually the wall. Um, so. <laughs> you were there in a battle. Yeah, it's right outside my apartment. So uh, when the Walkers come, I'm the first one to be turned. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that view nice. right outside your apartment? Yeah. Oh, that is a nice view. Nice. I can see. So I'm on the second floor. I can see when my delivery guy comes, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, you have a favorite photo you want to share? Or? Yeah, the mic on. He posted his favorite I'm photo. And oh please. my god. Um, okay, so here's here's the yikes. Here's a photo on my phone. Oh, that's don't a mind, nice photo. Don't mind the zoom and zoom out at the bottom. But yeah, that's the photo. Oh, that's we laugh one. because the one the one flower is like like wilted. Yeah, like, was, do you, why is it bent? Why, why did the why did the photographer not say anything? Well, what's your partner's name? Ben. Ah, oh, Ben. Maybe one day we can meet Ben. We did. You weren't there for Among Us. True. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it feels bad. Oh, can we do that again? <laughs> I, I asked you so many times. You failed every single time, Andy. <laughs> I, think, I think we played like three times. I'm pretty sure we played like three times. There's not enough story in Among Us. It's yeah, no narrative. <laughs> okay. Make your own narrative. For that, guys. Um, oh, th this is a good one that I wanted to bring up because. So let me uh, preface this with the context. So during the game, Nathan Prescott calls you on your drive out of the bunker, the dark room, um, that evil air, and you're driving through the storm, and you get a voice message from him saying how sorry he was. Like he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. He's coming. You know, Mr. Jeffrey's going to kill me now because he knows that I'm the liability. I'm really sorry about all the evil things I did for what it's worth. Uh, when David Madsen comes in and saves us from the dark room, he's like, oh, I'm sorry about being such a jerk to Kate. Yeah, I was probably a bit over the top with her. Shouldn't have done that. Should have been a better father-in-law to Chloe. Should have been a better husband to uh, Joyce. Um, so th there was a lot of, you know, apologizing going on, a, a lot of trying, like, attempted reconciliations. And I wanted to know, Angela and Chi, what are your thoughts on at the, the bad actions of people, right? Because these are people who have done bad things, clearly. Are people bad that do bad things or victims of circumstances that do bad things? I wanted to clarify something, actually. What did you mean by are bad people that do bad things? Like, you think they're inherently, are they inherently evil? bad people oh, okay. that do bad things, or are people just doing bad things because of circumstances? I don't think people are inherently evil or bad. And I think I didn't people... ask Rogers because that's his take. <laughs> and I do think people do become victims of circumstance, but I don't think that 
you have to do something bad because something bad happened to you. So it just depends on the person's perspective and moral compass, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Succinct, oh. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I would challenge you. Where, where do you think, like, do you think that moral compass is in any way inherent or, or purely circumstantial? I think it's part of nurture. Like, I think that's something you develop growing up based on your experiences and people that raised you and the experiences that you go through, the challenges that you face. I think that people might initially do things that are bad because of how they naturally act just from birth. But I don't think that makes them inherently evil. I think they're just immature. And then from there, they learn through their experiences whether or not to act that way. And then it's a decision of their moral compass. Mm-hmm. Do you think I gave us some thought. And I think, I think it's important to, to realize that most people don't see themselves as bad people. So even if they do something that other people considers bad or society considers bad, like breaking a law, the person that's doing it usually to them feels like it's somehow justified, right? Just like Hitler, he probably feels like he was very justified in his own way. But everyone else who, you know, around the world probably don't see it that way. I think there's like three types of bad people. So there are people who make bad decisions on the spot. There's people who are forced to make bad decisions due to circumstance. And then there's people who purposely make bad decisions with that with like with intent. In terms of Nathan Prescott, I think he actually does a bit of everything. I think when Nathan Prescott decided to shoot Chloe, it was kind of it was the bad decision. But he probably wasn't planning to just go around shooting people, right? I think it was like an on-the-spot decision that was not a good decision. Because of his dad and uh, Mr. Jefferson's influence, that was when he was forced to make bad decision to circumstance. And the last part is when he was purposely making bad decisions with the intent of kind of being bad. I think that was when he was just being like a jerk and a dick to everybody. Or when he was so, like attacking us in the parking lot. Yeah, like I think that, that may be him just trying to build up his ego or maybe being immature. But, you know, like he probably at that point knows it's bad, but he kind of justifies this in his own way. So I think people usually falls into those three categories, maybe a bit of both, or even a bit of all three. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think it's it's a very deep topic, but that's what I came up with on like right now. Yeah, man. That, that that's why I signed ten whole minutes to it. <laughs> We're gonna solve this drama yeah. in ten minutes. <laughs> I I think that's why there's like the court system and everything, right? There's lawyers, prosecutors, because like there's so many different sides to a story and so many reasons someone does something that you can't just be like, yes, this is bad, yes, this is good, or you know, like I like it. You got circumstances and stuff. Yeah. So you I have like to take better every expanded framework you have. Yeah. Yeah, you have to take every case and scenario by itself, and that's kind of what the course system does. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know if it the, the, does that is is aren't well, there, is it depends. A lot kind of blankety? And there are when it comes to like there's some like minimum sentencing stuff like this. A lot of that is being reviewed. Um, there's a lot of, of 
of course, there's a lot of different perspective about what the point of of um, punishment is um, supposed to be um, in the court system. So people have different views on it. That is constantly back and forth between, uh, you know, rehabilitation, punishment, um, and, and what factors lead to actual positive behavior in a population. Right. So. I I want to raise this question because I used to be in camp of it's like a lot more like nurture than nature, but I've been having a lot of friends getting dogs. I promise, wait, stay with me. So I've been having a lot of friends <laughs> that have been getting dogs. Uh-huh. And so it turns out that like certain dog breeds do have like certain personalities. So it, it's really hard to say that like, oh yeah, you know, people are just blank slates. Like there is a large part of it that I think is genetic. I, like, I am a genetically shy guy to begin with. You know, with all these things, it's never one or the other. It's always a mixture of both. And mm. the exact values, you know, we can't always be certain of different things. Uh, and it's very, it has a very snowball-y kind of effect, right? One little thing when you're younger, you know, means you're slightly more inclined to do one thing, which reinforces it again the next day, and then the next day, and then all of a sudden you have an exponential curve towards one particular trait and, and so it's it's always going to be a mixture of these things just having like one certain kind of starting environment when you're a baby or child can influence how you interact with every other experience after that like you, you have like you know the first year in one kind of experience for two different people and then put them in the same experience for the rest of their lives they will end up as two very different people just because of that little change at the start Mm. With that in mind, ooh, Rogers, Melly. I don't know, man. Those twin studies, though, the twin <laughs> studies where they're identical twins and then they get adopted in two different like places. Oh yeah, and, they, and, and sometimes different. they're just still the same, right? That's right. We yeah. just there are those. Hey, Chiron. These are traits. Even when Andy was talking about dog dog, dog species. <laughs> It, these are traits. So, so some dogs may be more aggressive than others. Just like how if, say, maybe my dad is like, like usually loud, yeah, louder. Sometimes may, maybe I would be kind of like him because I take under him. Maybe it's just genetics. Not but, that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just giving an example right now. Yeah. But, but what I'm trying to say is it doesn't mean that that person is good or bad. Or I, I guess in, the, in this question is, are people, bad people doing bad things, right? It's just that person might be more aggressive than others, but it doesn't mean they're a bad person. So these are just traits you inherit or pick up when you're young. It's kind of up to you how you want to use your traits. Like, yeah, because they're, they're all like tools, right? And, you know, you could use a hammer to put a nail on the wall or you could use a hammer to break open a pumpkin or smash a window. It's, it's all up to you. going, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about how you use it Uh, i i think one other point i just want to make quickly about this is that while i don't believe that our people are inherently bad people can do bad actions that doesn't absolve them of their responsibility right um you know if you've gone around and if you've murdered 60 people just because you say you're sorry and you're and you truly you know want to make a change doesn't necessarily mean you deserve it you still murdered 60 people there are still consequences for it. So even if there isn't always going to be an option for redemption or forgiveness, your actions still have consequences for them. 
Um, and that's not necessarily to your own benefit, right? Some of it is the benefit of society. And so while we all like might want to, you know, make sure everyone is rehabilitated, they all, you know, work productively for society, that's not how humans work, right? If someone does something bad, you want to see retribution, you want to see some sort of fairness or punishment. How come they did something bad and are still enjoying a good life kind of thing? And so that also has to be taken account. It's not just about how it affects, you know, the victim and the perpetrator, but how does it affect the rest of the people who are watching this going on? Oh, so Melly, Rogers actually jumped ahead to our next question. Oh, did I? Are things easy to forgive for you oh. <laughs> after a genuine apology? Hey, he answered you. Because yeah, 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 Nathan Prescott and Dave Matson, they, they seem pretty genuine in their apologies. Would, would you forgive Nathan Prescott or David? My gut instinct says, you know, it's too late to apologize. It's too late. You know, that's like a first, like, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And we already know at this point, we already know his fate because we've been in the dark room. We didn't get reception. We only heard his voicemail after Mr. Jefferson told us that he killed Nathan. So, I mean, in that sense, like, I would feel terrible. Yeah, he's he still did some pretty bad things, but. We went into that thinking Nathan was the bad person when it wasn't really him. I mean, yeah, he did some pretty bad things, but it wasn't really him, the whole mastermind behind the whole thing. So in that sense, can I forgive somebody that isn't that isn't alive? I don't know if it's relevant anymore. Oh, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, you, you think it is? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people done some heinous things that people haven't forgiven them for and are dead. Hitler. I- yeah, it depends. That's a big one. It depends how you frame what your forgiveness is. Are you forgiving them for their sake, or are you forgiving them for your sake? Uh-huh. Mm. Or like for the victims, or you know. right? Because I think I was talking about this a little bit earlier. It's like you can forgive someone, but still want to make sure that they see or pay their dues, whatever that happens to be. It doesn't where mean does that forgiveness come from. Is it for you or them or the victims? It. You know, you know, you come to basically come to terms with it. It's not something you absolve them. You don't absolve them of the wrongs that they've done. You just forgive them, and you move on, right? So it's like, yes, you've done a terrible thing. That sucks. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. But you go live your life, pay your dues, pay your toll, and then you you leave that chapter behind, and you don't need to dwell on that fact. For me, that's what forgiveness is. Is you don't you don't dwell on some wrongdoing someone has done towards you. But if I ever uh, see your face again. Well, I, I think, yeah, to add to what you're saying, Rogers, it's like you forgive the person for the, um, what they've done, but you don't ever forget the actions. Right. 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 It's, it's not about yeah. forgetting them. It's not about erasing the fact. It's not about you know, letting people off scot-free. It's about, I, I recognize what you've done. I've come to terms with it. You know, this is the punishment that we think you deserve, and it's time to move on with my life. And I'm going to do all the other things that I enjoy and not worry about the wrongdoings that you've done in my past or whatever happens to be. Interesting. You say Scott Free. Scott is Nathan's dad. Not like this. Stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> it. I wanted to say, okay, yeah, so there's a difference. There's a difference between like forgiving somebody who's done something to you, I think, versus 
forgiving somebody that did something to somebody maybe that you're close to. I think that's kind or of Or like your community. Right. Or your community, yeah. Because if somebody, honestly, if somebody did me wrong, I kind of forget. My memory is actually kind of bad. Oh. <laughs> and, and so it's pretty, it's pretty bad. And so maybe somebody will like talk to me later and like they'll say sorry for something they did to me. I'm like, yeah, I already forgot about it. You know, and think I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. Some my memory is kind of bad. Oh wow! All right, that's how you're still best of Harry. <laughs> Yikes! Wow, Ever. right? Because if they did something that was like so heinous to me, then I probably would have remembered. So if I forgot by the time that they like apologized, and it probably wasn't even that big of a deal, um, like in personal life, right? And it depends if they did it to me or if it was somebody I cared about because if it was somebody I cared about probably would never forget that that's ever. true I think that's an important nuance that I actually didn't realize is like if, if you're the victim that that makes sense but what if it's like you know someone adjacent to you or your community who like what, what's within your power to forgive as opposed to who it actually hurt or are you kind of a victim because you've been victimized as being associated with the the people that were hurt I think that's a pretty interesting nuance uh Chi you want to say something before we move on yeah, so this question actually brought up something that I remember not liking when we were playing Chapter 5. And that was actually the apology of Nathan Prescott and David. I felt like both these apologies was not in their character. Because from Chapter 1 to 4, you have no... Like, the game doesn't show you any signs of remorse from any of them. Even to the point where when David was kicked out of the house, right? It would have been nice if you saw some sort of remorse. So then that way, when he does come and save you and apologizes, it feels more natural. This, to me, feels very much like developers, once again, trying to shove things down your throat and be like, you know, they apologize. So because this is the last chapter, it just it didn't do it for me. When I saw, like, heard both these apologies, I, I was just like, yeah, I was like, no. Mm. I don't know if anyone like, else felt earned. Like, do you think that Nathan called like a whole bunch of people? Do you or do you think that you know he didn't have that much time? Why did he choose to call Max? I mean, he he warned, yeah, he had a warning too at the end. That Max was gonna be the next target. Uh, hey, Melly already forgot. <laughs> Cut that out, Harry. Cut that out of the podcast. Melly already forgot. Don't even <laughs> Well, there's one thing I wanted to add of uh, what we were talking about earlier. It's like if someone does something to, let's say, your friend or your community, yes, it does affect you because it's affecting someone you know in a negative way. But is it up to you to forgive that person? I think what you can do is support your friend or support your community, but it's up to the people who are actually hurt by the action it's up to them to forgive no i think it's up to both i think if you're hurt too then you have the right to forgive the person or not secondhand hurt because it affected you yeah because it affected you secondhand secondhand pain (laughs) secondhand hurt (laughs) oh there's gotta be some psych term for this where my psych major is at Oh, everyone except I, yeah, I heard, came I'm, up with it's just secondhand pain. Okay, Andy, do you have memory problems too? Because this is the third time you asked this. I think you it's called it's called empathy. 
<laughs> but let's just say, uh, for whatever reason, I this is completely hypothetical. I beat up Chi. Okay. And then uh, wait, you can't. No, no, you have to. You have to do it like uh, someone you don't know because we're both. We know both of you. Yeah, that's the see This I'm gonna complicate it. Oh, wait, you know, I beat up Chi. I don't know. We got in board game for or something. I beat him up, and then uh, you guys were like sticks. very upset. You're very upset that I beat up Chi. And after a week, me and Chi made up. We had Chi stick together. It was fine. And then Chi has forgiven me. But what about you guys? I just default back to my boring answer of you, you can forgive someone, but you still face consequences, right? The very fact that you had this event, maybe there's a lapse of judgment, whatever, right? It doesn't erase the fact that you beat up Chi. And now from now on, I'm like, is he going to beat someone up? Why did he do that? What what are those triggers? Can I trust him to do this or that? Those are all the consequences you now need to live with the rest of your life for the duration of our relationship, right? But the forgiveness portion of that is more of an internal state, I guess, of I'm not emotionally worrying about it anymore. It doesn't affect me in in the way that I'm now fearful that you might beat me up over a board game or, or I don't have that emotional response. This was a very bad example. I won't do that to you. you yeah, for a record, I hate this example. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have an example that actually happened. Okay, great. I guess kind of. Please, yeah, please take us away. From Did you beat up Andy? I want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't over I forgive you. I, I, I support you. I support <laughs> you in beating <laughs> Andy up. That's probably his fault, anyways. Everyone's just going to take Chi's side if that happens, Andy. That's fair. <laughs> Um, I'm on the same boat as Rogers in terms of my thoughts on forgiveness, but my example was something that actually happened to me and my friend, I guess. So my best friend had an ex who treated her very poorly and stuff, and then eventually he broke up with her. And then after they broke up, she was really sad about it and everything. And that made me really sad about it. So I was also hurt for her. And basically, she forgave the guy very maybe not very soon after but she forgave the guy before i forgave the guy and i wasn't the person involved so i That's think fine. yeah so i feel like i still had not really had the right to forgive them or not but i still have feelings towards it so i did not forgive them before she did even though i wasn't the person involved and i think that's normal when you care about someone else that's just to answer harry's question earlier about whether or not it affects the other people involved but no matter what, it's you all. You're always going to take sides, right? You're always going to be on the side of your best friend, no matter what. No, so not necessarily. Sometimes they're idiots, and they're like, "What the fuck?" I, are I you don't. Doing? I don't think so. I mean, like, if my friend was the person who treated someone else poorly, then I'd be like, "Yo, you're a terrible, significant other to them," and then I would not take their side for it. But would you still? Mm, okay. All right. Yeah, and like. I would probably eventually forgive them, as Rogers was saying, but then I would just think like, oh, you're a bad significant other, but you're a good friend. It doesn't change the fact that you're a good person to me, but you're just not a good significant other because you could possibly cheat on your SO and stuff. If, let's say, your best friend is mistreating their significant other and you found that out, same thing, you know, you you disagree and you're unsiding with the ex, not your best friend. 
in that case, do you feel like you're not as close to your best friend? Because even though they are still a good person, obviously some of these values don't match in terms of your friendship. Therefore, won't you be looking for a new best friend? A new best friend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Become best friends with their ex. <laughs> No, it's like part of your job because she's your best friend. It's part of your job to like have a sit down conversation and a heart to heart to make your best friend a better person. That's what I think. Yeah. You can do oh, bad okay. things, right? You're still my best friend. And I'm going to tell you that you did a bad thing and we're, I'm going to try my best to make sure you don't do it again. At some point, that relationship might break down, right? If there are Maybe. irreconcilable decisions and like you can't work it out. But then, of course, yeah. you're going to start moving away. Your relationship's going to fall apart a little bit. Uh, and eventually, you won't be best friends anymore. That, that's just the nature of, of human interaction. Yeah, and I think there's also room for redemption. And it's up to that person whether or not they want to take that road and, you know, become a better person. Yeah. But it's not as if you forget what they've done, right? Exactly. But you've now it's now what they've done negatively plus the stuff that they've done positively to fix it. And it, and yep. it's it's not that they cancel each other out; it's that they both exist at the same time. Yeah, or you see how far they've come and changed from who they used to be, right? Like, let's say this was like ten years later. I'm like, oh, I still hate you for being a bad girlfriend or boyfriend, but they're still like they're fine now, and that just happened in the past, and that's an experience that they learned from and therefore changed from. That's like you redeemed yourself, in my opinion. Uh, so you believe in reform, you know? Somewhat. It's like- <laughs> prisoners you know coming back to you know real life reality it's like yeah, you believe course. in reform because i people do don't. if they've proven it to me that they're <laughs> that they have changed i think yeah i don't know if jail is a great place to show reform it just seems like you have to survive a really shitty time well i mean if you come <laughs> out it's like yeah. you're not going to have a job because no one's going to hire you because of your criminal record but you could be reformed as a good person, but you're not given the opportunities by anyone. Everyone's just going to look at you with those, with judgment. Right, because that's, right? that's from the stigma from society, right? And, and that goes towards the difference between forgiveness and how people judge people. And, and, and each of these things is going to be different for it depending on what people have done, right? It's like, for the most part, people can come back from most things. You know, if you broke into a car, even if you happened to to shoot someone, like you were involved in a gang and you were, you had to shoot someone, whatever, because they were on your turf or whatever happened to be, you could come back from that, right? You have to pay your dues to society. Um, but part of the consequences of that, and people need to understand and accept, is that they have done something against the social contract. And there are consequences for that. And just because you, you've reformed yourself, you've made yourself a better person, doesn't erase the things that you've done. And you can mm-hmm. do your best to improve. Um, and hopefully... That sticks with you. That sticks with you. For it sticks with life. you. And, and, and it's not... It shouldn't be in a bad way. And hopefully... Uh, and we're seeing this a bit more now, that it, it's it, there's less stigma around it. Um. But it, it and people should give you a fair shot, right? Because you're not the same person you were, you know, five, eight, ten years ago. Um, yeah. But the reality is that it, it is something that you have to live with because that was a choice you made, and and of like you still have to pay the consequences for that. Oh, that's 
Well said. I, I now realize everyone here is very mature, except me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't forgive that easy. Uh, but, but you did say you got to live with consequences. I think that's a great way to bring us to our last question of the night. So we made one big choice at the end. Well, actually, Melly made one big choice. <laughs> the ending choice, whether it's to save Chloe or Arcadia Bay. Oh, Melly, you saved Arcadia Bay. Didn't even think twice. Yeah, Oof. I didn't even bat an eyelash. Oh, man, she was like, yo, you don't, you don't even know what I got <laughs> when to get here. Harry, what are your thoughts having shared those thoughts and feelings with us? I think I would save Chloe, to be honest with you. Saving Chloe. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? I feel like everyone in Arcadia Bay, except for Chloe's mom, is like, is <laughs> an asshole. Yeah, wow, Warren terrible. was nice. Uh, what about our I mean, teacher? What? Okay. Oh, what? To be honest with you, <laughs> oh, I don't know if he's redeemable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he can perform. <laughs> to be to be honest with you, it's a sacrifice that that is uh, needed, Warren. You have to sacrifice some of the good for the greater good. And <laughs> that'd be the other way around. <laughs> what is sacrificing no, no, the no, no, for the whole town? No, no, no sacrificing no. all of them for all the one. <laughs> <laughs> okay look around. okay okay the reason the reason why i thought of this that way is the whole reason why this started is because you were trying to save chloe right and like you spent 10 hours let's say you spent longer than that in game trying to save this girl from dying over and over and over again it's like at the end of it yeah i still want to save her <laughs> right interesting take to me I'd rather save her because the, the emotions <laughs> I felt the emotions I felt about the people in the town, aside from Warren, they're a bunch of jerks. I don't have emotional attachments for them. Like I it's nice. let, the tor- let the tornado take care of it, you know? Population <laughs> control. I don't know. <laughs> As moral Darwinism, this this whole town is like uh, a moral cesspool. Let this tornado wipe it off the earth. Exactly. Arcadia Bay would be called Tornado Bay. I don't know. But, <laughs> rebranded. Uh, yeah, rebranding. It's just people won't live there because it's... it's yeah, but I, I, I would say I disagree with Melissa's choice and I would have saved Chloe. I, gee, you're really into this at the beginning. You're like, you know, we want to talk about the ending, so I put this back in here. Oh. Sure. I was the opposite of Melly. I, you know, she instantly jumped on to saving Arcadia B. I actually instantly jumped on saving Chloe. And the reason being, it's kind of what Harry says. I don't have emotional attachment to most of these characters. So uh, Max's family is not there, right? Um, most Seattle. of Max's friends aren't there. <laughs> Maybe there's a few, but Chloe's your best friend, right? So I take that into, like, if I put myself in, in uh, Max's shoe, and Chloe is any one of you here, and none of my family's in a KDB, I'm going to choose to save any one of you over a city that I don't have friends or family there. Right? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, you uh, made I, it. I, 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 I take back my hypothetical beating up. How <laughs> 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 oh, you think I can take you, man? Yeah, and I think there is an argument to make that Chloe and Max are almost an item. Is kind of subjective, right? So you can instantly think of it as if this is my significant other, 
do I choose mm. to save my significant other or the city, right? Like the choice is just so simple at that point. It's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to save my significant other. For all I know, I didn't even create this tornado, right? This, yeah, the this game tornado. never actually showed me evidence that I was the one who created it. The game kind of, the developers let you to believe that. But, they did some heavy exposi- exposition to say yeah, hey, it was you. Like, for all you know, this, this is natural. Because even before you had this power, you had a dream while sleeping in class that the tornado was coming. So how would you know that you're the one who created it, right? Right from the beginning of the game. How would you know if you go back and change oh. and sacrifice um, Chloe or your significant other that the tornado's not going to hit anyways? If you want to change something, I would just go back in time, still save Chloe, but now somehow warn all your family and friends that the, the tornado's coming, we gotta go, right? Get the hell out of there. That's my thoughts, yeah. Well, the thing is, during the whole like going into the diner thing, everyone had the opportunity to leave. They're just like, Sitting there, just like yeah. I, I think in the real turn, <laughs> they couldn't leave. They died. Yeah, I was too late by then. But I'm sure your family would believe you, or like your close friends would believe you if you. I don't can know, kind of, man. Well, you can you convince Chloe that you have powers. You can easily convince your other Are family you, that you have powers. What's the timeline? Isn't it like 2010 or something like that? Uh, yeah, the cell phone. Do y'all not have tornado warnings? We literally had a tornado warning today. It's July. Did we 15th. actually? There was a tornado that, a that hit down in Barry. Yeah. Oh. Okay, where are y'all tornado warnings? Like, hello? Yeah, well, that's the point, is that this is like a magical tornado, and it kind of just appears off the coast and hits them. Yeah, we, we don't have magic tornado warning. Yeah. We, don't have... <laughs> we have physical real tornado. Yeah, real tornado. Not conjured <laughs> ones. We haven't been okay. offering our firstborn virgins for like over <laughs> 150 years, so they Yeah, this kind of on us. They canceled our plan, so... <laughs> our subscription fee? <laughs> All right, Let me jump you... in and defend Melly because I also made the same choice, okay? And I was going to say, like, yeah, everyone's like, Arcadia, <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, I sacrificed Arcadia Bay or I sacrificed Chloe for Arcadia Bay. Yeah, because we didn't want the yeah. last 10 hours to be meaningless. <laughs> Andy, your, your sister's going to sacrifice you. I know, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Yes. This, this is why I have no significant other. I'd sacrifice. <laughs> They've all been sacrificed. <laughs> no. No. Okay. So, um, with what Melly was saying, when she actually made the decision too, she brought this up, and I thought the exact same thing when I played because I was like, "Wait, if I sacrifice Arcadia Bay, then Chloe would be sacrificed too because she's in it and yeah, it's her honestly, home." <laughs> honestly, yeah. Yeah, so honestly, loophole. yeah, I thought she was going to die if I chose that honestly, anyway. Same. Honestly, yeah. same. <laughs> so I'm so glad yeah. she thought the same thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> besides that, this whole game and the whole thing about nature and this natural disaster coming was kind of, or at least to me, I think it was trying to tell you or tell the story of how you can't really change nature and its co- course, even though you have the power to control time and make these choices to change it. If you keep changing things, eventually what was meant to happen will happen like chloe is supposed to die she died in the first episode she dies over and over again throughout the whole story and every yeah, time you try it, to she save die her once every episode <laughs> i think so i think she might have died like every episode maybe died, minus like, twice one. in one episode honestly <laughs> it's true she she shot herself and then she almost got run over by a train uh she almost got shot by frank. oh yeah frank almost shot well 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think episode three or four she died. Three, maybe not. No, I mean, four she died. Overdosed her. We almost oh, yeah, four, she, she, she up, got shot. Yeah, she did yeah. die. Yeah. Right, so in the end. fifth one, I was like, yo, you're gonna die. So how did she almost overdose? We almost killed her. We had the choice to kill her. When she was in the wheelchair. Hello. In the alternate timeline. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we had the choice. We had the choice. That was episode three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. She does die once every episode. Or can yeah. die. And once. I killed her there too. I pulled her plug for her. <laughs> so- oh, and just hey, against her. What? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I, I did say I would kill her there too, but for a different reason. Yeah. But, yes. <laughs> just yeah. to make it consistent because that I, she died once no, every no. episode. <laughs> no, 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 no. But because I know she can't be saved in that sense. Because she was like terminally ill, mm-hmm. right? But because in that last episode, I know I can save her. I'm gonna f- save her. Hope you can sleep well at night knowing you killed Chloe's. Like you let both of Chloe's parents die. She wanted to move anyways. You know, I mean, yeah. great place called heaven. Ah, uh, real estate's cheap. He's still <laughs> terrible. You gotta keep your time powers if you save Chloe. Yep. 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 Yeah. It doesn't say. I read it because Melissa and I were reading like the ending. We're just, yeah, they don't really say. Uh, Apparently, in the comic, it's based off a comic book. Uh Um, She does keep her powers, but in the game, apparently, either decision will null her powers. Uh Oh, that's lame. Because, yeah, they kind of framed it that way too, right? Because in the game, they framed it such that if you went back in time, you had to give up your powers, but then be like, but if you stay, you also don't. So it seemed like. Go back in time, give up, stay, whatever. I think if you stay and you keep your powers, she wouldn't want to use her powers anyways because it would bring this natural disaster on to wherever it goes. Depends. Yeah, but you, really you can use it to like me. teleport through doors and stuff. But like <laughs> it, that that leads to that leads to like another discussion where do you think they're still trying to always kill Chloe and she's gonna Max is gonna have to keep using the powers? Oh, Every yeah, day she is final destination. Yeah, it's the butterfly effect. That's what happens. You can't change things that are supposed to happen. It's going to happen just in a different way. Yeah. So Don't yeah. worry. I'll get all the nosebleeds just to save my girl. <laughs> oh my my best friend. I'm my best friend. You're a real bad bitch. <laughs> Honestly, that was so random though. Like when we decided to save Arcadia Bay and then we just like made out with her and I'm just like, that was so unnecessary. That that was hello left field, you could say. That was hello left field. Also, I'm sorry to Warren because I just <laughs> I'm so yawn friend zone. I am, okay. I am the four, I am the four percent, which maybe justify yeah. Only four percent of the people at the end didn't either hug or kiss him. Oh, uh, I was the four percent. I chose to do absolutely nothing. Did you it's ghost like, him the entire series? It was consistent. I ghosted him the whole time. And maybe you know what? Maybe that's how we made out with Chloe. Okay, there you go. Okay, fine. I feel. All right. Um, I think it's that time. Ratings. <laughs> oh, I, I'm actually really excited for Cheese because Cheese started the series out with the highest ratings ever given. Five out of five. Was it was a four point five. No, it's five out of five. It's five out of five. It's episode five. It. I don't take it back. It was. A good I don't episode. take it back. Really? No, episode one was good. Yeah. Like, we're I, rating individual episodes. I'm not saying the whole yeah. is a five. Absolutely sure. not. Uh, <laughs> and that can <laughs> uh, Angela, what do you think? Just this episode, right? Just, this, ep- just this episode, yeah. 
just this episode, I think it is a 3.5 out of 5 for me. And that's 3.5 out of 5 binders in a creepy dark room. Um, (laughs) And I give it that score because I liked that they included those spooky elements to it. And even though you said it was cheesy, I enjoyed the memory lane thing. (laughs) I think it was... Literal memory lane. Yeah, especially because, like, this game's pretty long if you played, like, all the episodes. I don't think most people would play it all at once, so you probably forgot things that happened earlier in the game. And those kind of moments that you had between Max and Chloe help make your ultimate decision at the end. Like, do I care for her that much? Nah, she should die, you know? So, um... (laughs) So, I really like that part of it, but I didn't like the part where we spent time in the art museum or gallery, only because I think it went on too long. I think it was fine to show a bit of that to show you that could be a possible reality. But we spent so long there that I felt like that was too much for me. It was like the junkyard all over again. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it was also entertaining how we got to use our powers that we learned, like to focus on the photos and also to go back in time to save people. I especially like the scene where you have to save David from hot teacher, Mr. Jefferson. Mm, yeah, he comes in and he gets shot, and he comes yeah. in and gets hit in the head. <laughs> yeah, oh, and so he came like in and like slipped on like some water or something. Yeah, that's, yeah. So yeah, that's my we overall... saw him kind of three times. Yeah. <laughs> overall, three point five creepy binders. Yeah, Harry, what are you thinking? I would say I would give it four out of five everyday heroes. Just because, everyday heroes. Yes, this episode was really entertaining in my eyes. Um, from my perspective, it was a lot of action in a way because there's a lot of time jumping and uh, there was a lot of different nuances like the stealth element. Even though I think majority of you hated it or half of you hated it or did not like it, I thought it was a new element that just added into it and then there was a lot of just um a bit more development in terms of like character as we build it up to the very end um so i would say there's not much i didn't like about it yeah like maybe maybe in the art museum where we get to have some caviar too that would be good i don't know (laughs) the principal (laughs) was just like yeah caviar is calling for me (laughs) oh yeah yeah so i was just like yeah it was just wandering around just hard like nobody's looking at you and just like you're that i saw you at the poster but i don't know your name i'm pretty sure like that was poorly written because her name is has to be everywhere if her she is the spotlight of this art um uh thing exhibition Uh, whatever exhibition yes art exhibition thank you four out of five everyday heroes Four out of five everyday heroes. Roger's kicking to you. We got 3.5 people binders. Four out of five <laughs> everyday heroes. I, I'm going to give it like... So the problem with this is that this is the finale for a five episode long game. And it's it's not just... To separate just this episode from the rest, uh, I don't think I can do. There is so much kind of build up to get to this point and it comes with a lot of history and you can't really just play it by itself and so i think i'm going to give it a one out of two endings it's 
It's just <laughs> there's so much wrong with the overall vision of this game that detracts from what is actually a quite good story, I think, about uh, about a girl trying to find uh, her place in the world between uh, you know helping people out and and trying to save people and you know working with people who you don't understand necessarily the relationships they have with everyone and, and discovering that and, and finding your place about what, what does it mean to change the world and, and your place in it. But there are just so many mechanical flaws and dead space that it detracts from the meaning and the story behind it. And then revealing this now, like as we are doing, um, I realize there's so many just wouldn't it be cool if metaphors and stories and like oh this has to have some deep meaning when when they really they don't it feels like it hasn't actually been thought out all that well it's what you're talking about art man it's it's all the meanings in the, in the eyes of the player and, and sure <laughs> it's art it's art i don't deny that but i don't think it's it's not particularly good it's not particularly good in, <laughs> in, in the emotional space of it and nor nor is the craftsmanship very good which uh, is something I think a lot of people can appreciate regardless is if it has good craftsmanship. And, and I think, um, unfortunately, this does not. And so it, I don't recommend this, um, but I also don't like, as I found out, this style of game anyways. I'd rather just play like uh, like a Dark Anthology series or uh, a linear story of like... Did we play a linear story so far? Oh, uh, yeah, Firewatch. Like Firewatch. I, I'd rather play Firewatch than this. Or, or have something where choices are more meaningful uh, and more branching. One out of two endings. Well, but what if more. what if chapter one, two, three, and four was perfect, and you have this ending? What do you think about this ending then? No, all all the fat trimmed. Yeah, because like what you said so far, it's I feel like it's kind of like rating the game as a whole. Which, if I were to do that, my rating would be very different. True. Okay, if I if you really have to push me, okay, pretending, I'm pretending. Okay, episode one is so good. Episode two, oh, she gets hit by a train and she's like mad at you, uh, but they rewatch time and you save her. Fine, okay, great. And then episode three, episode four, we get to this episode. There are certain flaws with this. Like I said, there's a lot of tone that is missing that from the other episodes that are in here. There's a lot of that spooky element. Um, that comes into it. There's that surrealism that is absent or too subtle in the other in the other episodes. Maybe maybe it's like a three out of five uh, photographs or something. I don't know. I, it's okay, <laughs> but I I don't think I can I can really separate this from the whole in its entirety. I... Just it, there's just too much history between between me and this game now <laughs> to separate it. I cannot well, forget it. Felt, it's how I felt about Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm gonna go and give this a solid. You know, I'm with you, Harry. I'm I'm gonna give this a four. Hot guy, Mr. Jefferson's out of five. Let's <laughs> see. Oh man, I don't know. I I thought there was some uh, highlights here uh, in this specific episode. I really liked some creative ways that they like dealt with like how time was breaking apart. I I really liked that hallway scene when you're going backwards. And every all the sounds are backwards. I thought that was really cool because at first we we're like, "What is this gibberish?" And all like the words are flipped around. And I was like, at first I was like, "Man, if you're dyslexic, can you even tell?" But like, yikes! <laughs> I, I can tell. I'm pretty sure I you can know. tell, ma'am. 
Uh, when they're speaking backwards, they go, bleh, 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 bleh. not the speaking part. <laughs> I bet the options on the screen were all like flipped. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, what, what other cool things were they? The super unsettling feeling. Uh, so some of the ways that her insecurities kind of surfaced out during all those uh, flashbacks and, and the, when time was breaking apart. Um, the going to San Francisco was kind of cool because that whole time we were in Arcadia Bay and we're finally out of Arcadia Bay. We're like, oh, you know, we made it. And it was like, JK, it's actually like the one-third mark or something. Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought there were some pretty good highlights here. So I'm going to give this four out of five hot guy, Mr. Jefferson's. All right, Melly, you played this. I'm saving Chief for last because I really want to know how far this star has fallen for him. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this episode itself, I'm going to give it seven and a half out of ten times that we ghosted Warren. <laughs> or 7.5 out of ten times that we tried to save Alyssa. Poor girl. Jesus. What do you mean you ghosted him ten out of ten times? <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, Aisa. Still go like watch that movie with him, and You're then I go don't ape. think I ever did. That Let's go, ape. So yeah, bad. Ape, ape. There's actually a video that I saw where in episode two, when we're gonna like water our plant or something like that, if you look out the window, Warren's like creeping behind like the building, like looking for us. Oh, he's, he's just waiting for you to come out. And yeah. Play. So that he can like ask us to go out to the movies. Like that's actually kind of cute, so cute and kind of weird, but like so I feel a little bit bad about that. Just a little, huh? <laughs> I'll give it that score because you know I just said all those things that I hated about it. I think actually made the episode kind of good, and I you know I also feel bad to Rogers because honestly, when I was playing it. I played it to try to like entertain you guys to some degree. And so I skipped a lot of stuff on purpose. I'm not I'm not a completionist like Harry. I didn't look at every single little thing. You didn't pick up didn't, all the beer cans until you had I didn't to. pick up all the beer cans. <laughs> I didn't take all the pictures that I could have. I didn't read any of her journal. We skimmed it. Not after the first episode, I didn't even open her journal, fam. I'm with you on that. <laughs> eh. And so I feel like with that, I feel like that would have really added to it. And maybe if I read it, I would be more emotionally invested into Chloe and maybe I would have saved her. But at the end of the day, I didn't even think twice. I'm like, it's your time to die. You like, it's your time to die. And so I think that this kind of a game is better to play on your own at your own pace and look at whatever you want to look at. And I, I rushed it a little bit to try to entertain you guys. Aww. Yeah. You are our Warren. Please don't ghost me. Please, oh, no. don't, please don't ghost me. I'm just trying my best. <laughs> All right. On that note, she Fergus home. <laughs> <laughs> While the um, some of the segments are interesting and entertaining, like the whole going backwards part or everything in reverse, that was pretty cool. I agree. I think the um puzzle could have been a bit better, but. It's interesting that they put it in there and the lighthouse and the walking through the different um, dorms. I still stick to what I said at the beginning, which I don't think any of those have much to do with the story. I really think the it's like the uh, developers have this idea. It's like, well, it's really cool if you put this in, but it doesn't really fit in any context. So let's just make her have a dream, a hallucination and put that in there. You know, it's kind of cool. You know, why not? 
it's entertaining, but I still think it doesn't add to it. I really wish the ending addressed more plot points that the game set up. And it's not just the origin of Max's power or the uh, destruction and all that, but also the relationships of like all the other characters, like Victoria, Kate, Chloe, David, and with each other and with Max. And I think the game kind of gets away with this by having two different endings that both doesn't need to address it. So if you sacrifice Chloe, then you technically undid everything that you did throughout the whole game. So that all that character development never happened. You never had that interaction with Victoria, with Kate, with anyone. So you don't know what, you don't see the result of it, the, the, um, the payoff. If you sacrifice a Kate at bait and everyone dies anyway, so it's the same thing, right? So while I wasn't bored, I just, I think the ending is just, just good enough to wrap it up, but it's not great by any means. So I give it a three stars, which is an enjoyable on my rating list. Oh. That would be fair. Yeah. It is enjoyable, but it's not great. Definitely not great. Enjoyable, but not great. Three stars. I was expecting (laughs) something lower. Sweet. Yeah, wait for what wait for the mind? whole overall game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this is when the sum is not greater than its parts. <laughs> the bullshit sandwich effect. You have a good beginning, you know, it's okay ending, and then you got all these shit in the middle. That's just like, what the hell, game? Come on. <laughs> uh, you telling me you only like the bread from a sandwich? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Because like, you just yeah, want- depends on what the ingredients are. <laughs> Shit, shit, shit. It's literally shit. It's a bullshit sandwich. It's literally shit. Oh, that's amazing. I, I think Rogers said most succinctly in the beginning. Um, you know, if if it does yeah, no matter how great a line or a scene is, if it doesn't serve the story, then it'll feel out of place. And I think we we felt a lot of that. I think I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. It's not bad. Like uh, I don't know. I, I would have wished they were more experienced focus in terms of their narrative storytelling as well as the mechanics about what it what is it that I want the player to feel at this point like what instead of going through the story and to say these are all the key plot points we want to hit or whatever and we need to fill for time it's it should be in this level or this scene what is it that I want the player to experience and really make sure everything is attached to that concept because when we're talking about like this this is a story about about Max's experience and, and what they're feeling. And it ends up being or, or attempting to especially in the final episode, create a very a specific sense of emotions with a sense of unease, with the sense of, you know, fear and urgency and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so having the rest of the game be focused on this is an experience I want to create for the player would have made it so much better uh, and cohesive. Well said. I guess on that note, I hope this has been a cohesive experience <laughs> for you, listener. I doubt <laughs> it. <laughs> hey, you know, like, like Max, we're just trying. It's like, like Nelly, we just tried. <laughs> here, you know, we're, yeah. we're trying to make art. We're trying to be artists here, you know. <laughs> uh, this has been Watch Play Card. This episode is brought to you by myself, Andy Wong, Rogers, Nelly, Harry. And Angela. You can follow us on social media on Instagram at WatchPlayCry and also on Facebook where you can find our Facebook page, WatchPlayCry.
Music by Eric Oppenado. Editing by Harry Chung and Gabriel Hauser.